Take a look at me with this photograph, please. I've been saving that little that image for a long time to be able to use it in the right place. And I felt like today was the time. You, you'll be able to look at that, and you can tell it's created from wire, and then there's this large round object that looks like some kind of electronical component of some sort, maybe. And um, how, how, would you describe, how would you describe that image? Uh, no, the emotion of the image. Not the image itself. Don't tell me it's a guy made out of wire pulling something, all right? You know? Um, what is... What does that sculpture, that piece of work, what emotion are, em, what does it draw out of you? Struggle. 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 Tired. Tired. Worn out. Yeah. Perseverance. Perseverance. Mm-hmm. What? Yeah. Right. Right. Toil. Say it again. Toil. Toil. That's right. Hard work. Absolutely. To me, it, it is just what you said. This man... Um, has a burden that is bound to him. He, he is obviously with great, great effort. You can see how he's bent over to um, do the work of bringing that along behind him. And it's with great effort that he's dragging that burden along with him. We've been talking about the way that... Um, God uses relationships to form us and to shape us into the image of Christ. You know, and, and I'm just pause really quickly and just say that he uses relationships and, and got what God is doing in our life. And, and I'll just pause that we do the testimonies on these Sunday mornings because God uses what he's done in someone else's life to encourage us, to convict us, to inspire us, you know, in our own walks. And so today we have been encouraged, convicted, inspired, you know, to say that no matter what we're going through, God's peace can be there with us in that moment, right? That's what our testimony speaks to. So, but last week we talked about how we would, we would never turn away from someone who is drowning out in the ocean or in deep water. We'd never turn away from them. But when we see someone who's in sin or making a bad choice that direction or something like that, we often say, oh, you know what, that would just be too troublesome. That would get awkward. They might get mad at me, you know. We would never say that about someone who was drowning in the water, would we? We would never say, they, get mad. they might get mad at me for trying to save them, right? But if it's someone in sin, we go, oh, it's just sin. They'll be okay. And we kind of make excuses and reasons for walking away and letting them remain in their sin. To me, this guy has something that he could use someone to come and talk to him about. Just hang on to that image for a minute. We're going to come back to that in a second. We have to keep in mind that these encounters of going out and finding someone in deep water, um, that they are always intended to open the eyes of people. To help them understand, do you see you're out here in deep water, that it is not okay to be sucking in salt water, that's just not good for you, and that this is going to end badly? That when we reach out to them, we're, we're, we're going out there to restore them into a safe place. We're going out there to restore them into a place where they're, they're in a working condition where they can function more normally. And, and sometimes we have to remember that those that we might be out there in the deep water and that someone might come out to us. And that as growing Christians, people who say we want to be like Christ, we want someone to swim out to us. 
Matter of fact, as growing Christians, when we see someone coming out to us, we ought to be like going, hmm, wonder what this is about. God's about to speak to me in this. I might not like it, but he still might be speaking to us in that. This morning, I, I, I want to reference a passage we've already referenced one time before in Galatians 1, uh, 6, 1 and 2. If you want to turn over there, Galatians 6, verses 1 and 2. And uh, the passage I'm reading from is going to be from the Living Bible today, all right? Galatians 6, verse 1 and 2. Boy, I love the sound of Bible pages turning. <laughs> nothing, nothing better than that. Dear brothers and sisters, if, any, if another believer is overcome by some sin... You who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back into the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. When Paul wrote this, he had in mind, because of the way he structured the sentence, the words he's using, he had in mind someone who was overtaken, you know, kind of like, as, as a, you know, a runner is overtaken, I mean, as a walker is overtaken by a runner, Right? You know, when I'm walking, I don't usually overtake anybody, you know. But like someone who's running, they would pass me. And, and so that's what we're talking about. He's talking about that someone has, has found himself as if sin has caught up with them and gotten the better of the person. But it's not, it's not simply just a sin. It is often what he's talking about is a pattern of sin as well. So here he's found that someone has gotten themselves in a situation to where this sin has become more normative for them, and they need someone to come alongside of them, it says. Um, when I was supposed to be working on this sermon, you know, it's, as is my way often, I found myself clicking, 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 clicking. And so do not ask me how I was supposed to be looking at word studies in Greek, and I found myself looking at videos of animals in the jungle in Africa. I'm not sure how we got there. <laughs> But I ended up there. And this one particular video that I just watched, because you're like going, I know it's coming. I know it's coming. Here it's coming. And it's of this gazelle type of animal. And it's wandered down to the side of the pond, the watering hole. And it's leaning over, getting its drink, minding its own business. Everything's calm. And then out of nowhere, this crocodile leaps out of the water and is grabbing for this animal's neck. Right? And the animal's jumping high up into the air and just running like a madman trying to get away. That's what sin is like for many of us. That we think we're minding our own business. We think that we're doing okay. We think that we are, we're fine. I'm not, I'm not making a bad choice. We think we're, and then all of a sudden, we find that sin has jumped out of nowhere and grabbed us by the throat and we're thrashing in the shallow water. That's the kind of thing we're talking about with someone who's been overcome by sin. Paul instructs us by saying that you who are spiritual should give assistance. And like I said last week, swimming out to them, helping them come back into the safe water. But who is spiritual? He says those who are spiritual. Well, who is spiritual? Well, one thing would be a spiritual person, obviously, is someone who has professed Christ as their Savior, but it is also someone who is demonstrating a walk with the Lord that is, you know, they're in the Word. They're demonstrating fruit in their life. You can see that God is doing something in their life from time to time. You can see that they're vibrant in their walk. 
Not that anyone's perfect. We're not talking about perfect spiritualness here. We're not talking about sinlessness here. We're talking about people who are diligently walking after the Lord. But he says something else here in the text. One other thing he says, and note the phrase, he says, and, and, but be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Or your Bible might say to examine yourself or look at yourself lest you be tempted too. The person who decides to swim out in the deep water needs to consider their own sin so they don't drown as well. Don't help unless you've prayed and you've examined yourself also. And why is that important? Why is that important? Because, quite honestly, we as Christians, more time than not, have come up along somebody and said, well, hi, I can tell you're in a little bit of trouble here. And, you know, and I haven't been in trouble in years. I've been doing quite well myself. So let me help you. I've got this down. I know all about this. Let me help you. Come on, come on. You know, other than that, you're going to die and burn and go to hell. If you don't, you know that, right? And we come off with this attitude that says, like, I'm good at this, and you're obviously not. You obviously need help, and I don't, so come on. And he goes, uh-uh, stop right there. He says, consider yourself. Take a good, hard, honest look and realize that you, too, have your areas of very deep struggle. That you too, probably just last week or last month or last hour or minute ago, just had someone say to you, stop what you're doing and consider your attitudes, your words, your actions. And what that should do for us is this. That should make us go up to this person and go, man, alive. I'm so sorry for the mess you're in. I just extricated myself last week and I know where you're at. Can I help you? Come on, let's talk. You see the difference in those things? One says that I know I don't have sin, and that's why you need me. The other one says, I know I have sin, and that's why you need me. And so when, when we're talking about like coming alongside of someone, the, the attitude is one of saying, like, I know what it's like to need help. And I've been helped. And let me help you. You see? And that's why that word is in the passage about to gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. The Greek word that Paul uses here in the text refers to mending nets. When he's talking about to restore them there in the passage, he's talking about to mend nets or to set a fractured bone. It's like helping someone back on their feet. Do you, do you get the mental image of that, what Paul's driving at here? If someone is falling, you've come alongside of them and you help pick them up. You've dusted them off. You've lended them a hand for a few steps until they're, they're steady on their feet. He's helping to repair them back into working order, getting them back into safe water. The goal is always, the goal is always to restore back into full fellowship and to do it gently. And again, because the church is made up of people and humans, we often don't do that. 
We've often been guilty that when we've come alongside of somebody, we've come alongside, like I said, with an attitude of like, I've never had this problem, but you obviously do, so let's help you get out of this so you can be good like me. But the other thing we do is we come alongside of people and we go, you obviously have a problem, and if you don't get right, Jesus is going to deal with you. Well, brother, he's, he's about to do the same thing with you, isn't he? Yes. So, so the, the attitude is not one of like, of like coming alongside and, and telling them how to be. The attitude is coming alongside and repairing them and restoring them into, if it was a net, into working order. If it's an arm, so that it functions again. If it's a person, so that they're walking humbly and, and diligently with the Lord again. And so it's very rare that you ever get to a place. Matter of fact, even if you did get to the, this, this extreme place of having to deal with someone in sin, but even then it's kind of like, we are not here to condemn you to something. We are here to say, please change so that you can be in a vibrant walking relationship with the Lord, so that you can be in a vibrant walking relationship with us, restoring it has to have this attitude and this image of like, we want you here. I want you here in this relationship with me. So please, let's work on this together. But I will say, though, and I say this as the shepherd of our church, along with the elders as well, that there are times that if someone chooses not to do that, that for the sake and the safety of the sheep, that it would be hard boundaries and say, we still love you. We still want you. We still really desire to be in relationship with you. But given the way you're acting and conducting yourself, we need to put some boundaries. But that's the extreme. We're not even talking about that. It's never intended to punish or be vindictive or to act like you have no sin. But, but Paul's not done. He goes further and he says to share each other's burdens. Now, consider this passage with our burdened friend. So, can you, um, uh, uh, can you go back to our burdened friend there? Amen. Praise the Lord. There he is. Consider this passage of sharing a burden with our friend here. What is going to be the most helpful to this guy? What can you do to, to bear his burden with him? Well, there's really a lot of things you can do. There's a lot of things you can do, but the most helpful thing is to be in a relationship with someone who's in this position. And that's why we're talking about this, that it's in relationship with people. First of all, it's really difficult to come alongside with someone you really don't know and to try and bear a burden with them. And that's why knowing them is really important as we think about this and we talk about this. But being in that relationship with them, it's so that you can be in touch with them, so you can be around them, so you can see what their needs are, so you can know how to best help them. And by being around them and seeing them regularly, you can watch them and serve even as a degree of accountability. You know, there are times when we're going to say, you know what, you've been doing really well of like being able to get rid of that burden. But if you continue to do that, you're going to be back underneath the burden. As a matter of fact, it's going to roll over the top of you. So let's think this through a little bit. And as you show up with your friend, you walk with them or do whatever it is, don't worry about what you're going to say. Just be there. Just 
be there. There are so many times when I have walked into a hospital room really with no idea of what to say. Or I've walked into a home with no idea of what to say. There have been times when there are no words to be said. So just being there when they're, so that they are not alone is perhaps the most important thing you can do. No words, just presence. So they know someone cares. So they know someone's with them. And if there are words to be said, I found that God's Spirit often puts them in my mouth when I didn't know what they should be, what I should say or do. That's what love looks like sometimes. You know, you think about this, and, it's, and there are times when speaking to people in truth, sometimes it will say to them that it will be, they will feel like you're being mean to them. They'll feel like you're being hard-hearted at them. But you think about it, though. To tell a child that they can't play in the street isn't mean, is it? It is loving because you're caring for them. It's being protective of them. So in the context of sin, sometimes we have to say no. Sometimes we have to be protective. And when we do these things, we're not so much walking alongside of them. Sometimes we're getting behind them and we're pushing that burden to help them along. Sometimes we're saying, this way, this way. We're steering them along. But there's another part of the equation. There's another way to look at this. Just like last week I said, like, you know, so often we think about that Matthew passage about that we're always supposed to go to someone and talk to them about sin. But then there's the other side of the coin where someone comes and talks to us and how we're supposed to receive that in such a way that we say, God must really love me and God must really be interested in transforming me into the image of Christ and helping me to wear off all those bad edges and help me to work, work out of my sin. God must really love me because he's sending a brother to me. Sometimes he might send more than one and say, can you, can you think about something with me that I'm seeing? Well, just like in this passage where we're talking about that going and bearing the burden of a brother, there's also a flip side of this. And the flip side of this is found in James 5.16. And there in James 5.16, you can look it up if you want to. I'm going to go through a couple passages. In James 5.16, he says, to confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so you may be healed. Another corollary passage to that is Psalm, uh, yeah, Psalm 32.3. And Psalm 32, 3 says, And when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through groaning all day long. And then Proverbs 28 says, Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. And immediately some people are like going, That's a recipe for disaster, what you just suggested for me to do. Two things about it really quickly. Number one is it's not speaking about, in my mind, it's not speaking about that you're coming and doing it up here on a Sunday morning. It's probably not even necessarily speaking about doing it like in your small group or your Bible study. But what it is speaking about is having in, being in a relationship where you can come to someone and say, I need help. I need you to pray with me. I need you to do this or that with me. I have multiple Multiple men who've come to me and said, Ken, 
I'm going to subscribe to Covenant Eyes. Can you be the person who gets my report about my screen activity? That's the thing it's talking about. I have a problem. I need help. Can you help me? And so when we, we are, this is where it comes on us. We have to turn around and say, I have a problem. I need help. Can you help me? And there it is, you know, coming alongside of someone. And why, why is it that we're even talking about that having to tell someone about your issues? Think of it like this. Every addiction, I mean every addiction of any type, of anyone who's working through a problem behavior, they recommend that that person who wants to recover be with other people who are going through the same thing, who can encourage them, and who can encourage them in that struggle. There are multiple support groups out there that says, if you're going through this type of struggle, come together with other people who are going through this type of struggle because there's strength, there's encouragement, there's conviction, there's challenge to walk through this together and find and seek freedom from this behavior together. No, it's not talking about church-wide announcements. It is talking about an announcement to a trusted friend or family member that you're safe with. David White, in his book, um, Sexual Sanity for Men, he, uh, it's, it's a book written for men who are struggling with pornography. He says, a brother can only encourage you if he knows specifically how you're struggling. If you will not be, you will not be encouraged nor have any genuine fellowship until people really know you. You must risk coming into the light because you can only be truly encouraged by others if they know the places where you're discouraged. Some of us never get over our issues because we've never been honest about them and we've remained in the shadows. We've remained in the darkness. Now, sin festers and lurks like mold does in the dark, in the secret, behind things, in the shadows. But when we shine light on them, and especially when we shine the the truth of the Scripture on them, and they're exposed, things change with those sins. When we confess a sin to a brother or sister, we very often feel like somehow or another that we had a ball and chain tied around our ankle. And then when we've confessed, it's like, I feel like free or something. I feel like, I feel this is kind of off of me. And that's just by confessing it. Knowing that someone else knows. The weight of keeping the secret is overwhelming and can just, well, look at what, look at what the psalmist said. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. There is no doubt a difficulty in doing this. For those of us who've been trying to drag our burden around for years and years in the dark, we are no different than, you know, it is, it is practically the same thing as having just been found in sin. We're pulling a burden, and wouldn't it be nice to have someone help you pull it? alongside of you. You know, 
the, the, our buddy here on the, in the image, you know, it's obvious he's pulling a burden. And when someone sees someone struggling like that, you know, people kind of, you think about this. When, when, there's, when there's a little old man trying to cross the street and he's taking it really slow and he's, you know, and, he, and like when the dude's going to get run over, that light's going to change, it's going to be green, these people will have no mercy. And, he's, and, and so people will, and if you were to fall, people would run up and go, can I help you? Can I help you? Because they see, they see the struggle. But people who just walk across that street with nothing like that, they go, that person needs no help. And in the church, what happens is, is that we have, we have bought into a lie straight from the pit of hell, and I mean that literally, not figuratively like most preachers use it, you know. We have bought into a lie that says when you come here or your small group or your Bible study, you better not talk about sin because that means you're not doing it right. Let me tell you something. If you go in those places, or if you don't have somebody you're talking to about sin, you're not doing it right. Your silence is going to eat you up, and you're going to go through your Christian walk like going, this just doesn't work for me. Why not? Why not? You know why it's not working for you? Because you're marching across the street acting like you don't need any help, so nobody's walking up and saying, how can I help you? But if you were to walk in your small group, hunched over, barely getting in the door, people would be opening that door and say, how can we help you? Because they know you have a need, a physical need. The problem is, every time you go into this room here, or your Bible study, or your small group, the fact is, you're walking into that room with a need. And we're all like going, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. And then you sit in your support group circle, and everyone goes, hi, my name is John. And instead of saying, hi, my name is John, and I'm a sinner, and I have a problem with porn, or with lying, or with gossip, or with stealing, we sit there and say, hi, my name is John, and I got no problems at all. And then everyone in the room goes, whoa, if he's got no problems, I better not have a problem. And so it comes my turn, and I come around and say, hi, my name is Tim, and, and I, I got no problem. When inside you're like going, Man, I wish I could say my problem because I'm dying inside keeping it quiet. Having somebody, somebody you can talk to like that. I have a friend that grew up in this church. He lives in Southern California now. And he is very good at telling his story. That's David right there. He's a bodybuilder. Can you tell? The dude's kind of strong, right? He's a triathlete. He does public speaking about how he has stayed clean and sober for the past eight years. And you'd think he could tear you limb from limb, but he is the nicest, humble guy you'd ever meet. He's an, he is so talented in so many different ways, and one of the things he does is metal work. And this is his most recent piece of work. You can't really get the scope of it. It's, it's just metal triangles and... and and rectangles all put together. And it must be, you know, from looking at the pictures and everything of it, you can't quite get the scope of it. It's probably eight, maybe ten feet tall. I'm not sure. It's, so, it's going to go into the lobby of a hotel or a business office somewhere up north here. And this is what he said about it. I'm not perfect. Far from it. I have failed. I have fallen. I've entangled my mistakes with other mistakes. At times, so warped, the me that God created seemed unrecognizable. And as I straighten things out, my story doesn't 
does not edit the misaligned shapes of wasted steps, missed days, and lost years. Instead, it grows from them. But maybe that is what perfect should look like. Maybe that's what perfect does look like. David is very honest about his struggle. He's very honest about where he's come from, where he's at, and where he's going. And it's that kind of honesty that I think more of us could benefit from. Perhaps with ourselves, perhaps with a loved one, perhaps with a Bible study partner. Then I've just messed up so many times. But it's God's grace that keeps stepping back in and realigning me and creating beautiful things out of the mess I've made. It is just amazing what God can do and the freedom we can experience when we're honest about our struggles. Let's pray. Father, I uh, come to you and I'm grateful for your forgiveness and for your patience and for your long-suffering with each and every one of us. And Lord, I pray that we as a church body would find ourselves really learning to grow in our ability to have really strong, healthy relationships. And that means really strong, healthy relationships that are awkward at times and uncomfortable at times and even um, just, just, we just, sometimes we just don't want to go into them. But may we understand that it is in the context of those kind of relationships where you're doing something in our life, whether we're approaching someone or we're being approached, you're building stuff in us that is beautiful and good and right And when we do that as individuals, we find that you work in our lives in ways that we didn't see happening, in ways we couldn't have foreseen. And when you do that in our church, we grow as a church of healthy relationships. But Father, help us not do it for the benefit of the relationship. Help us do it because we know that when we enter into those tight spaces and those uncomfortable spaces, that what we're doing is we're finding ourselves being more and more aligned and shaped and coming to look like you, in our character, in our words, in our deeds, and our thoughts. May you, may you, may you, Jesus, always be the goal of our lives. And it's in your good and lovely and wonderful name we pray. Amen and amen and amen.